1: Greetings and welcome to the 58th edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, February 4th, 2021. I'm Mare Safina, WLRN's newest member, baking enthusiast, and champion of women. This month's edition focuses on both the patriarchal world of dance, including the obviously objectifying and degrading erotic dancing we see in the sex industry, and also on the nature of dance itself and how it can be an expression of liberation and freedom for women in non-patriarchal settings. We'll hear an excerpt of an interview I did with WLRN founding member Thistle about her experiences with ecstatic dance. We'll also hear an excerpt of an interview with Agnes Wade, former exotic dancer who tells WLRN about her experiences dancing in the sex industry. To round out our feminist examination of dance, hear WLRN's Sekh McChiaul talk about dance as women's reclamation of their bodies and an opportunity for female-only space. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's Emily Ann Lorenzen with Women's News from Around the World for this Thursday, February 4th, 2021.
2: The
3: Polish government announced that its near-total ban on abortion is now in effect and will be enforced. Abortion is now only allowed in cases of rape or incest or when the mother's life is at risk. The Constitutional Court decided that a 1993 law allowing abortion in cases of severe and irreversible fetal abnormalities was unconstitutional which 90% of legal abortions in Poland fell under. This news has prompted thousands to protest in the streets of Warsaw for several days. Puerto Rico's governor has declared a state of emergency regarding gender violence. According to a 2012 report from the ACLU, quote, Puerto Rico had the highest per capita rate in the world of women over 14 killed by their partners, unquote. The State of Emergency establishes a mobile phone app for victims that aids them to seek emergency help and hides the message to protect them from their abuser. Law enforcement officers will have to follow up with women who have protective orders, and a committee that recommends and monitors public policy changes has also been established. Egypt's cabinet raised the maximum sentence for performing female genital mutilation from seven years to 20 years. Doctors and medical staff involved in FGM will also be banned from practicing medicine for up to five years. According to a 2016 survey by the UN Children's Fund, about 90% of Egyptian women and girls aged between 15 and 49 years have undergone FGM. Despite the ban in 2008, FGM is still practiced widely by both Muslims and Christians in Egypt. Colombia is facing a surge in femicides. In 2020, the Femicide Foundation Colombia confirmed 229 femicides and is trying to verify 260 additional cases that could be defined as femicides. There have been 18 verified killings so far in 2021, one of which was a four-year-old girl. Activists recommend better gender education, well-lit cities for women's safety, and coronavirus measures like bans on alcohol and limits on social gatherings that might reduce risks for women and girls who live with abusive men to combat femicide. Colombia's Vice President Marta Lucia Ramirez said, quote, We have to reach zero femicides. We have to end machismo and any kind of violence against women, unquote. In India, Dr. Kriti Bharti runs the Sari Trust, an NGO dedicated to rehabilitating victims of child marriage. In 2012, Dr. Kriti helped Lakshmi Sagara to annul her marriage, making her the first woman in India to nullify her child marriage. Lakshmi was married at the age of one to a three-year-old boy, and she didn't find out until she was 18, which is common in these circumstances. Currently, 27% of girls in India face child marriage. Despite lifelong abuse and rape and death threats for helping women and girls, Dr. Kriti has helped 41 child brides annul their marriages, stopped 1,400 weddings, and rehabilitated 7,000 children, including victims of child labor, sexual offenses, and HIV. She also works for various consultancies as a psychologist, and uses her own earnings to cover mental health expenses for these girls. When girls come to the Sari Trust, they ask if they have to pay for their services, to which she says, quote, I always tell them that my only fee is that the girls complete their education. The idea is that they complete their studies, no matter how many tries it takes, unquote. Chutney Mahato was awarded the Padma Shri, India's fourth highest award for her work. She has rescued over 100 women branded as witches in Jharkhand, India, and has helped rehabilitate them. 25 years ago, she survived an attempted rape and murder after she was branded a witch. She was sent to an NGO, which helped stop the witch hunting practice. Mahato said, quote, the then West Singbum Deputy Commissioner helped me set up an anti witch hunting consultation center, which has so far saved 125 so called witches. Unquote. According to National Crime Records Bureau data, 575 women have been lynched after branding them as witches in Jharkhand between 2001 and 2019. On January 26th, Estonia became the only country in the world currently led by two elected women President Kirsti Kalujade and Prime Minister Kaja Kallas. Kirsti Kallujade became Estonia's first female president in 2016, and on January 26th, Kaja Kallas became the first female prime minister in the country. The new Estonian government will have seven female ministers making almost half the cabinet female. Other countries have had concurrently elected presidents and prime ministers who are female, such as Finland, but Estonia is the only country with two elected leaders who are women at this time. On January 21st, President Joe Biden signed an executive order titled, Preventing and Combating Discrimination on the Basis of Gender Identity or Sexual Orientation. The order says that the definition of sex includes sexual orientation and gender identity. The order states, quote, children should be able to learn without worrying about whether they will be denied access to the restroom, the locker room, or school sports, unquote. Journalist and author of Irreversible Damage, Abigail Schreier, spoke out about the order. She tweeted, quote, any educational institution that receives federal funding must admit biologically male athletes to women's teams, women's scholarships, etc. A new glass ceiling was just placed over girls, unilaterally eviscerating women's sports, unquote. Representative Greg Stubbe reintroduced the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act on January 21st a bill he first introduced earlier in january this bill is different from tulsi gabbard and mark wayne mullen's bill the protect women's sports act but it is similar activist feminist and filmmaker vashnavi sundar released a four-part documentary called dysphoric fleeing womanhood like a house on fire on january 29th it is available for free on youtube and LimeSodaFilms.com Dysphoric is a compelling, intelligent, and well-made documentary, which was made over the course of a year amid the COVID lockdown and cancellations. Support Vashnavi's work by watching the documentary, sharing it, and donating to her PayPal at paypal.me forward slash V-A-I-S-H-A-X Join Ruth Barrett, Linda Conroy, Cornelia Cho, Dominique Christina, Mary Lou Singleton, and Mimi Gonzalez this February, March, and April for In Our Own Hands Women's Wellness Series, produced and hosted by Midwest Women's Herbal. For more information, visit MidwestWomen'sHerbal.com. WLRN will be featured on a billboard in Milwaukee this month. WLRN's own Thistle Pedersen teamed up with Miriam Ben Shalom to put together a fundraiser for a billboard and a TV ad to educate the public about the harms of the Equality Act, as currently written to girls and women's sex-based rights. Stay tuned to WLRN's social media pages for pictures of the upcoming billboard and updates on the campaign. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, February 4th, 2021. I'm Emily Ann Lorenzen. Share your news stories and tips with us by emailing wlrnewscontact at gmail.com and let us know what's going on. as we got the beat from the Go-Go's. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of an interview WLRN's newest member, Meredith Safina, did with WLRN's longest standing member, Thistle Patterson. In this clip, you will hear Thistle talk about her experiences in Northern California with a nine-month practice of ecstatic dance on Sundays in a sacred space out in nature with a skilled facilitator. To hear the entire interview Mare did with Thistle about her childhood and dance and her feminist analysis of it, check out WLRN's YouTube channel.
1: Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to do my first WLRN uh, interview with you, and I cannot wait to hear about your experience in dance. So let's just jump into it. Um, I know that you're, you're interested and do ecstatic dance. What drew you into that practice?
0: Well, I think I was drawn to ecstatic dance because I had done a bicycle tour for a long time. I I was riding my bike across the country on various tours with Mm. other activists and singer-songwriters and performers and um, I went down the west coast on the gas fast tour with another singer-songwriter and we performed at all these little venues like cafes and bars and stuff like that um, on the journey for like two months. And then after it was over, I ended up staying in Northern California because I just loved it. It was so beautiful there and the people were friendly and I stayed. I was still on the adventure and I wasn't sure what to do next, just to be completely honest. Um, But anyway, so there I was in Garberville, Northern California, and uh, there was a woman that I met, a young woman who, she also was arriving to Northern California. A lot of people kind of come through that area off of the highway 101. And um, she had connections and in the community and she was starting an ecstatic dance practice once a week on Sundays, right when church would happen at a, a community center down a winding road into the hills of Northern California. And um, she invited me to be a part of that weekly practice. And we did it for nine months on Sundays. And she took care of everything. She would create, and it was very spiritual for her. In fact, she kind of became like a pastor type figure. I grew Mm -hmm. up in the Lutheran church. And even though she was much younger than me, she sort of fulfilled that role. Like I, I saw her in that way because she would um, put a lot of thought into and design into the music. Um, and then we would like have this ritual where we would sit in a circle and set our intentions for the dance. And then um, after we've set our intentions without words, And a lot of times the music didn't have words either. And she Mm -hmm. wanted it to be that way. So you'd hear everybody's intention for the dance. And it was like our prayers that we Mm -hmm. were putting into our dance. Um, And then you'd have this space with no words to dance your intention and to feel the intentions of all the other people in the room, no touching. Uh, It was a safe, protected, sacred space. And so there were men there. And there were times when I noticed, you know, the male gaze, of course, but, mm-hmm. um, and later, actually, I wanted to, to do this same practice in a women only space and see how that would change it, which I'm sure it would, you know, mm-hmm. it would make it better. Like what, what, um, Alexa, sunshine rose, that was the name of the, of the leader of our group, what she intended and what she created was a sacred space, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't women only. And I did notice at times men, you know, looking at the women in ways that made me feel uncomfortable or me putting my body, you know, doing things in ways that I wouldn't if I wasn't aware of the male gaze, you know, and I always wanted to take her her practice that she taught me and do it in a women-only space. And I've never been able to do that because people think it's hateful Mm. (laughs) for women to come together in that way, which leads me to believe that it's so powerful. If women were able to come together in ecstatic dance regularly in a sacred, safe place, those women would be transformed in a way that we would have so much more power and we'd be so much more in touch with our personal power and ability to express and manifest our dreams through dance that it would be a threat to patriarchy, Mm -hmm. you know? So obviously there have been so many obstacles put in my way by men and women, primarily Mm -hmm. women Mm -hmm. to, Doing uh, a women only practice of ecstatic dance. But so that's how I got interested in it. And, you know, putting the male gaze aside, those nine months with Alexa and the way that she organized that space wow, it was incredible how integrated I felt and Mm -hmm. in my body. Like, I am my body. It's, it's you know, a lot of times I feel like we live from the neck up mm-hmm. and during that nine month period, especially towards the end, I really felt like my whole self was my body is my body, you know, and then we also bonded mm-hmm. as a group. And there are kind of like, I don't know what you would call it, but spiritual or emotional or spiritual psychological or even psychic aspects of dance and mm-hmm. so we we could feel each other's moves before they would happen and we would oh my gosh it was just so beautiful it was such a great experience alexa, alexa sunshine rose i'll always remember her
2: Oh
3: That was Sia, with her song, Chandelier. Next, we turn to an interview Thistle did with Agnes Wade, a former exotic dancer who is now a feminist activist and writer living in Michigan. Agnes talks with Thistle about what it was like to be a dancer at a strip club, how she got out of it, and what her current feelings are about the world of dance. She too offers up her feminist analysis of dance, focusing on the Russian ballet in particular. Here now is an excerpt of that interview. Find the entire interview with Agnes on the WLRN YouTube channel.
0: As a warning to our listeners, the following excerpt contains graphic descriptions of women being exploited and abused. So
4: uh, it was a friend of a friend who had been stripping there was like a local strip club and she the way she had put it was that she was just making all this money and she was going to buy herself a whole new wardrobe and a horse i was always super into horses and like other acquaintances were saying no it's not like that at all like the the strip club world is really dangerous and she's hurting herself but like in your teenage mind, like the things that are rebellious are the things that are you're going to go for, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Wow. So
0: this friend of a friend introduced you to stripping. Can you tell us more about that? Did she help you m- meet somebody at a strip club that you had an interview with? How? What was the process like of
4: getting you in there? It's, it's actually crazy how easy it is. Um, It was the closest strip club was like one town over and I'd been hearing about it since high school, like boys, as soon as they turned 18 would like come to school talking about going there for their birthday and their favorite stripper and how hot and gorgeous she was and how well she treated them. Like they made, they made it sound really cool. Like they did like what kind of boring old fogey would have a problem with that and you know, I I was wanting to move out and buy a car and pay for college and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, like the, the sort of like trades that are available to boys at that age. I tried to get a roofing job. I wasn't getting hired. Like it's kind of stripping is was really the only way that it seemed possible. Um, I was waiting tables at that time, but even working like the best shifts. I, I couldn't get an apartment on my own and a car and pay for school and all that. So I went in the way they do it is they have an amateur night every month. And like the amateurs compete for a prize that you can win. It's like a $500 prize. Um, But what, what isn't said out in the open is that whether you win or not, like the manager will come up to you at the end if he likes you and just offer you a job right there on the spot. Like there's no W-2 forms that you have to fill out. They they do ask you for your ID, but that's the sum total of it. Um, You're not an employee. The way they get around any kind of labor laws is that you're considered an independent contractor and you actually have to pay the club to work. So That's how it got started. It was really, really fucking awful from the start actually. Uh, Like the way I built it up in my mind was that I was gonna be like this sexy goddess that men were gonna pay for the privilege of watching on stage and you know, like just wads of twenties and all that kind of stuff. And it was kind of like the polar opposite of that. Like, they make it really, really clear that they see you as a form of livestock. Like you dance on stage for a certain number of songs. By the second song, you have to be fully naked because it was a fully nude club. Um, And if you don't, you're fined. You have to like pay the club a certain amount of money if you don't disrobe in time um but the stage is just a really a minor part like that's basically you advertising what you have for sale (sighs) i just wasn't expecting to i guess it all kind of comes back um so yeah after you get off stage like i think it's about every three or four songs all all of the girls have to walk around to every table and ask the men if they want a lap dance because that's where the money is. And are you all nude at this point? No, so the way Michigan laws were at the time at least is that clubs that go full nude can't serve alcohol and you can only have your panties off on stage. The rest of the time you're when you're just like walking around, you've got usually a top on too. You're just kind of like, Bikinis, stripper heels all that kind of stuff um so yeah you have to go around and ask all of the men if they want to lap dance and it's really clear that some of the men just get off on not just the power of that but the hurt feelings of telling women no like the ability to just say like no you're old look at your saggy tits like And they'll often grab you and like literally like they're feeling a piece of meat, Um, just kind of par for the course. So degrading. And
0: what is a lap dance for our listeners who may not know what that is?
4: So I had to be shown how to do this because I would never been inside a strip club before. Um, So they asked one of the more senior girls, it's women, but it's, called girls whatever um to demonstrate for me so they had me sit down in one of these booths and back then in Michigan still these laws have changed too the the booths were separated but they couldn't be curtained off like there had to be a bouncer sitting there and a video camera and like the men had to sit with their hands beside them like they were not allowed to touch you so the and then the woman would just kind of dance and like rub her butt against the guy's crotches um there were little steps that you could like put your foot on and you know like just kind of grinding sort of dancing it was really awkward for me too when i was doing that like it's such a it's really such an intimate thing and to have a stranger (sighs) um yeah years later, I ran into that woman again at her rehab, turned out that she was on a lot of cocaine at the time and she was selling it to um it everywhere. There were no women that were not on drugs. None. It's
0: it's like they need to numb themselves yeah. so that they can perform
4: the, the work, you know? Utterly, completely, I mean, I, I had a really hard time with it, obviously, Um, but I decided that 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 was because I was oversensitive and too uptight, and, you know, like, this is just what the culture was now. Like, I'd really adopted this. If you can't beat them, join them" mentality. Mm
0: -hmm. And did you make a lot
4: of money? Were you able to pay for college and get a car and all of that? So the first night, no because I, I was just so like shell-shocked, um, but coincidentally, within a couple of days, somebody offered me heroin. And at that time I'd already tried ecstasy, tried cocaine once, like I was, I was just in this kind of state that no kind of warnings from adults would register at all because I I'd seen what the adult world was and it was hypocrisy and cruelty and yeah um so heroin doesn't get you drunk like like you don't lose control like when you're drunk and you're not like out of touch with reality like when you're high smoking pot it's like it's like you without any negative emotions all like anxiety and sadness rage those are just mellowed out and I I got high and I went to the strip club and I made like 350 dollars in one night so that was the formula so that became a pattern yeah
0: yeah immediately And and do you feel like you needed to use heroin in
4: order to do the job? Oh my God, the the two were completely like inseparable. Um, I I was making a lot of money for about six months, like three hundred dollars a night minimum, but (coughs) I very quickly found a boyfriend who who found like a, a cash cow in me. Basically, he had a drug problem. And I mean, how was he going to pay for it? I was. So yeah, I, I had to get high to go to the strip club. And I had to go to the strip club to get high. Um, Within like six months, I recognized that it was a problem. Like, I, I'd seen the movies where people have horrible withdrawal and all of that kind of stuff. But I mean, I wasn't taking anybody at their word at that point. So I was just like, when it becomes a problem, I'll just quit. How hard can it be? Um, and I managed to stay clean for a few days, but I still needed to pay rent and all that kind of stuff. So I tried going into the strip club sober, and it was just a, a no-go. Like, I, words cannot express how disgusting those men are. I, I mean, subhuman is a word. They, they know what these women's lives are. Mm-hmm. Like, how utterly devoid of compassion.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a nightmare. So you had to pay for the heroin, plus you found this boyfriend along the way who was taking your earnings from you. So in the end, you didn't really even get to enjoy the massive amounts of money that you made.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's not like I was handing it over, but I was paying for my habit and his habit and for our rent and like to keep my car gassed up and stuff like that. So like, no, I wasn't buying myself nice clothes or going on trips or anything like that. Or saving it. No, no, of course not. And and that's, I mean, I I was in the strip club world for years. And that that really is the story. All All of the women. I think I met one woman who was completely sober and she was raising her child and trying to go to school other than that like every single one without exception at minimum they're smoking weed and drinking um and no they're they're not saving their money because I, I mean even if you do really well the the strip club takes at least half of it and it like you got to buy these new outfits and the hair stuff and all, all the while, like what you're selling is becoming less and less valuable because it's, it's the one place that the more experience you have and the older you are, the, the less money you make. So I, I mean, I saw too, what happened to the older women too. They, when you say older, do you mean somebody who's like 30? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's you're uh, about to retire and they retire to the streets. Like they, they become prostitutes.
0: Horrible. So, the topic of this podcast is women and dance. Can you talk to us a little bit about what dance was like for you growing up before you got anorexia? what it felt, you know, what it, what did dance mean to you? Mm-hmm. And before you were lured into the strip club where you were dancing for these men, how, how did your perception of dance change? What was it like when you were a child? And then what did dance become for you when you started working in the sex industry?
4: Well, when I was little, uh, my girlfriends and I would often have these dance parties. We'd like just dress up in our leotards and tights and stuff and play our favorite music. We'd like rock out to Spice Girls or whatever. Um, And one of my friend's moms was kind of like a shaman-y priestess-ish person. So she often had gatherings of women um, where they'd all be singing and drumming and dancing and it was uh, it was just a really like safe healing space I guess um yeah women dancing together is just so utterly different than when there's men involved um and then as I got older and Uh, started trying to starve the woman off myself Uh, I became attracted to the ballet world Um, and, and it really wasn't like the stage performances and the costumes and all of that like I just I really loved the kind of zen like atmosphere of the studio where everybody is working on it, like achieving perfection and through like all this discipline i don't know um but there was obviously something very unhealthy about that too like as as a ballerina you have to be like severely malnourished to aesthetically and also like to be able to i think even carry your body weight on the tips of one toe um yeah i i think that there's really just that's, that's one of the ways that what's female is subordinated and harnessed and turned into a tool for the male, right? Like, through, women.
0: through patriarchal forms of dance, such as ballet, exactly. such, as, such as stripping, yeah. you know, but people think that there's a huge distinction between ballet dancing and the culture of ballet and strip clubs,
4: but really, yeah. what are those differences? It's a, difference degree. It's, it's a difference of degree. It's on the same spectrum, right? Like, e- either way, you're performing this, like, extreme pantomime femininity that men find pleasing. And, like, they're calling the shots, you know? Even, even in ballet, like, all the big choreographers and stage managers are, are men. When ballet first got popular in the late Victorian age, uh, the famous ballerinas had to have rich male patrons um, that helped pay for their apartments and their costumes and all that kind of stuff. Um, And the ones that didn't reach fame just ended up becoming prostitutes and courtesans in their early teens, well, early mid-teens. I remember reading about that years ago too. Uh, And it's kind of come full circle too, like Russian ballet is the world famous kind of center of ballet. So during the Soviet era, it it was super world famous and there were these cases of defectors like American and European companies would try to poach Russian dancers. Um, But since the fall of that regime, since the state isn't sponsoring the arts anymore, um one, the level of artistry i I think and a lot of a lot of critics think has fallen, but two, the ballerinas once again have to find oligarch patrons to be mm-hmm. four departments and to like get the plum rolls and all that kind of stuff like it's come full circle, and I think that it really sort of lifts the mask of what this is really about at root, like yeah it, you're absolutely an incredible artist and your discipline and physicality is to be admired but at the end you're you're being used as a tool Mm -hmm. and dance
0: in ballet is less about self-expression and more about male fantasies and choreography that's Pleasing to men, it's a oh male-dominated God. world. Even though the ballerina is held up on a pedestal, she <laughs> she's been constructed by a male choreographer, a male, um, you know, uh, playwright, or
4: the stories themselves of like these captured swan princesses, and are one aspect, but like. The, the pinnacle of perfection that you're aiming towards is to turn your body into an instrument, um, to embody the music and the role. And isn't that at root what patriarchy is about is turning the female body into a male instrument. Good point. Agnes, thank you so much for sharing with us today. No, thank you. And hopefully, hopefully I'll see you all March 8th in DC. Right on. Yep. Women
0: marching Mm -hmm. on the mall in Washington, D.C. We got to do it. Got to let the Biden administration know that men are not women Mm
4: -hmm. and
0: they should not be counted as such in the law. Definitely. So, well, thank you so much.
4: Thank you. This. This. This.
5: this. 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 This is WLRN. 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 Women's W-l-r-n. Liberation Radio. Women's Liberation Radio. Women's Liberation Radio. Women's
0: Liberation Radio News.
6: female human beings, our bodies have been the site of our oppression, the source of so much pain, for thousands if not millions of years. Men and boys have controlled the female body, terrorized it and destroyed it, used it for their own gratification and reproductive agenda, reduced it to a sexual object, conditioned us to be embarrassed of it, etc. We could say that the feminist fight is nothing more than women and girls fight for bodily sovereignty. At the end of the day, all patriarchal oppression comes down to this battleground, and no other feminist victory means much without the victory of fully possessing our own bodies. The feminist potential in dance comes down to women and girls reclaiming our bodies. A dancer has sole and complete control of her body when she dances, and uses it, moves it, experiences it only as she chooses. Dancing is often an act of joy and always an act of liveliness. In many cultures around the world, dances are passed down through generations of women and used in rituals they alone carry out. Whether a woman dances alone in her room or at a party with her friends or on a stage or in a class or during a group ritual with other women, she is fully occupying and controlling her body when she does it. Dancing, unlike so many other physical activities women and girls could do, is almost never about men or heterosexuality, especially not in the 21st century. Instead, it's a physical act that almost any woman or girl can do purely for her own pleasure. The political significance of reclaiming our female bodies in this physical way might not be at the forefront of our minds whenever we dance, but it exists nevertheless. Dancing is meaningful to women and girls whether they realize it or not in part because it allows them to experience their own bodies on their terms as sources of power and strength and fun and authenticity. When we dance because we choose to we can in those moments forget about all the ways in which our bodies cause us psychological, emotional, sexual, and physical pain, discomfort, shame, and ultimately misogynistic oppression. Through dancing our bodies become ours again and we can feel the thrill of becoming whole as we reconnect our emotions, our bodies, and our autonomy. Another excellent thing dance gives to so many women and girls is female-only space. Little girls who take dance classes are usually taught by a woman and share the room only with other girls. Their dance class might actually be the only exclusively female space they have access to besides public bathrooms. Many adult dance classes end up being women only too, despite there being no strict rule barring men from participating. Dance classrooms and dance culture as female-only space can provide women and girls with a special combination of safety, freedom, and a fun atmosphere in which to connect with each other. Unlike team sports, dance is usually not competitive, so there's a greater chance of the women or the girls in a dance class sharing the space and activity in a friendly way. Getting together with other women and girls to dance whether in a class or at a party or some other social event, gives us the opportunity to see all kinds of female bodies in motion outside of the heterosexual male gaze, and thus come to a greater appreciation and respect of not only other women's bodies but our own. Dancing can be an excellent bonding activity for women, just as much as talking or crying or laughing together. It's not about every woman present being a talented, skilled dancer. Dancing with other women is just about being fully in your body and having a good time with them. As female-only public spaces become more and more uncommon in white-dominated countries due to the transgender cult, dance classes and private dance parties will be some of the only places women and girls can still go to enjoy exclusively female space. While female human beings are stereotyped as the more emotional sex... Society still considers certain female emotions inappropriate. Anger is certainly at the top of that list. Self-love, love of the female sex, and disdain for males are all on it too. Even feelings like confidence and power are not allowed to us independently of men. Women and girls are expected to suppress or hide or downplay these emotions. Dance is one way women and girls can express all of their emotions freely without the risk of judgment. For some women and girls who don't know how to express their feelings with words, dance can serve as a valuable outlet, too. In fact, using your female body to express everything from sorrow to longing to excitement to joy can be cathartic in a way more verbal or intellectual methods are not. The body has its own memories, and so much of our experience of emotion is physical, more than many of us realize in daily life. Dancing can help us get out of our minds and connect more fully and directly to our feelings, using the body as our main tool of expression. In that way, dancing can improve our mental health and raise our emotional set point, making it easier to live life in our female bodies day to day. So whether you think you're a good dancer or not, whether you have any formal dance training or not, find excuses and opportunities to dance. Dance by yourself, dance with your friends, dance with your lovers, or dance in a class. It doesn't matter how old you are, how long it's been since you danced, or how skillfully you can do it. Dance because you have a body that belongs exclusively to you, and you deserve to use it in ways that please you.
0: Thanks for listening to WLRN's 58th edition podcast, offering you a feminist analysis of dance. WLRN would like to thank our guests this month for sharing their stories and thoughts about dance. Thank you so much, Agnes Wade and Thistle Pedersen, for speaking with WLRN for this show.
3: I'm April No, signing off for now. If you like what you are hearing and would like to donate to the cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click on the donate button. Check out our merch tab to get a nice gift in exchange for your donation. In addition, if you're interested in joining our team, we are always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post on our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is Emily Ann Lorenzen, signing
0: off for now. And I am Thistle Pedersen, Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we'll focus our program on sexuality, featuring an interview with Ms. Sheila J. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for it on Thursday, March 4th. Notice a change to our website theme? Thanks to Anonymous for donating volunteer hours to spiff up the WLRN WordPress site. Speaking of WLRN's awesome volunteers, we could use help with getting our podcast out to a wider audience. If you have knowledge and experience with online marketing strategies, please consider joining our team. Email wlrnewscontact at gmail.com if you're interested in being a WLRN marketing goddess. Thanks for tuning in to WLRN. Until
5: next time, keep up the good fight. This is Jenna DeCuardo signing off on another edition of WLRN's Monthly Handcrafted Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. In May 2021, WLRN will be celebrating five years of Speaking Through the Noise to bring you quality feminist programming. Help us to celebrate by pledging your donation today on our WordPress site as a pre-sale for the WLRN five-year anniversary pint glasses that our team is designing. Or if you're an artist with a WLRN five-year anniversary design you'd like to share, send it along to WLRnewscontact at gmail.com. In the coming months, we'll have more info about our five-year anniversary pint glasses. Look out, sisters, they're going to be a collector's item someday. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender, loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you, so please comment, like, and share widely.
2: For the patriarchal kiss How will we find what needs to be shown And then after that Where is home Home. Tell me, where is my home Cause gender